Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for horror news, true crime, and real-life tales of the unexplained. Monsters at Midnight, The Revenge. Episodes of Monsters upload on a bi-weekly format every other Saturday. I'm your host, your favorite escaped madman, loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums, Matt Schaefer. Set the table and bring your appetite because Eli Roth is serving up his holiday slasher, Thanksgiving. If you're still hungry, we can order pizza and hang out with some killer animatronics in Five Nights at Freddy's. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn out the lights. Monsters at Midnight, the motherfucking revenge rides again. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. I am recording this before the holiday. Um, because it just worked out that way. Uh, but I hope you had a safe and stress-free holiday. If you choose to celebrate, totally understand if you don't. I want to get a couple things out of the way up top here before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Uh, a lot of fun having Graham on the podcast. Um, really do apologize, though, for some of the heinous, heinous audio issues that popped up. Um, I sort of was listening through it and caught one really, really bad one that la lasted for like three seconds. That like high like high pitch whine that happened for whatever reason, um, and was able to take that out. But I missed a couple because I didn't listen through the whole thing. So I really do apologize for that. Which also brings me to the fact that I'm going to be recording this episode and hopefully episodes going forward with a different audio recording software. Uh, I've been using OBS when I do the. Uh, well, that, when I did Mac and Graham's episode, I was using OBS, and I like the way it sounds a little bit better. You get a little bit more background noise with OBS, but it sounds a lot less tinny and compressed, um, which I like better. Um, hopefully, uh, we don't get any more horrific audio issues, um, so we're going to move forward with that. Uh, going ahead here and uh, yeah let me know if uh, you have a preference either way or if I'm making a good decision doing this uh, getting actual better audio equipment is in the plans here but the holidays are coming up so just, just all in due time but uh, I'm gonna be recording the episode before Thanksgiving here because today I actually watched Thanksgiving and Five Nights at Freddy's back to back uh so thankfully can have uh the thoughts of both a little bit fresher in my head than it has been in the past when i've done these movie reviews so let's start with thanksgiving quick uh synopsis here for you there will be no leftovers after a Black Friday riot ends in a tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the holiday. Picking off residents one by one, what begins as random revenge killings are soon revealed to be part of a larger, sinister holiday plan. For those of you that don't know, and for those of you that do know, but uh, here's just a quick refresher regardless. 
Thanksgiving was originally one of the fake trailers that Eli Roth contributed to the Grindhouse double feature that Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did back in 2007. A quick uh, fake trailer for a fake movie. Uh, bridging the two films were fake trailers directed by uh, other famous directors in the style of sort of grindhouse and exploitation cinema for fake movies in this universe. And my personal favorite has always been Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. I think the style of the trailer works exceptionally well, and he has a keen eye for the gags of not just slasher movies, but the sort of things one could expect from late 70s, early 80s, uh, holiday-themed slasher films. You know, of course, you got your Halloween, and you got your Friday the 13th, but you also got your My Bloody Valentine's, you got your Happy Birthday to Me's, and stuff like that. April Fool's Day, that was late 80s, and that one was a little bit more self-referential uh, uh, parody, but you get the vision here. Um, so I was fucking stoked when it was announced that finally... Uh, Eli Roth was going to be turning Thanksgiving into a feature-length film uh, when that was announced earlier this year, or like during the summer, I think. There was a pretty quick turnaround. Because I've been waiting for this movie pretty much since I saw Grindhouse in high school. Um, and I, thankfully, because it's Thanksgiving, <laughs> thankfully can report that this movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's not perfect. It has a couple of problems that we'll get into going in, uh, but I thought this movie was fucking awesome. I think Eli Roth absolutely killed it. Um, I'm biased towards this sort of uh, throwback slasher, so obviously I was probably going to have fond feelings for it, but it's also nice to see that it is getting good reviews uh, from friends and uh, actual publications alike. But yeah, no, this movie, first off, is a great expansion of the Thanksgiving trailer. This takes its... it, it This movie has... A lot more thought put into it than it just being a sort of kitschy throwback wink nod sort of thing like uh like the trailer was and to a degree like what planet terror it was now that i think about it i think at the end of the day quentin tarantino is only the one that was taking this the assignment 100 percent seriously and gave us a true exploitation movie where the majority of it was actually really boring <laughs> um Sorry, death proof love death proof lovers. I've come around significantly on that movie, but it still just does not really do anything for me. This movie fucking kicks ass though. Um for starters, I actually really enjoyed all the characters in it, which is miraculous given that it's a modern day slasher film, and also even given that it's an Eli Roth movie, he has some pretty uh, divisive uh, hit or miss points when it comes to the way he writes his characters. They are all very unapo unapologetically from Massachusetts. Um, if this, I don't know if this movie has been tallied up yet, but this movie probably has an f bomb count that rivals Straight Outta Compton because I think for the uh, 
that movie uh, had the record for the most uh, F-bombs in a film. This movie, if it, if it doesn't, uh, it's got to be pretty close. Everyone talks like the going to the Havid Yad. Uh, it's delightful. Um, but because Eli Roth is from Boston, um, he has sort of the, the eye for this sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, the characters are all really likable and also fit into their archetypes in ways that make them feel like believable, fleshed-out characters. And these are archetypes that we've been seeing since the late 70s and early 80s when slasher movies were truly in their prime, in their uh, heyday. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed them. Uh, apart from, like, a few examples, which we'll get to when I sort of break down more of the details of the plot, no one is really written to be just a flat-out dick. Uh, in the main cast, at least, there's a few side characters that are just supposed to be a dick. But in the main cast, everyone has layers to them where there's actually more working behind the scenes if they are kind of just a, a mass hole <laughs> at the beginning. Um, our leading lady is really smart, really brave, really intelligent, um, uh, played by Nell Verlack. Um, I think that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. She was great. I think she killed it. Patrick Dempsey, holy shit. <laughs> um, so many of him, us just know him from Grey's Anatomy. I don't actually know if I've really seen that much with Patrick Dempsey in it. I think he was in Sweet Home Alabama. That might be like the only thing that, because I've never seen Grey's Anatomy. Um, Anatomy. Um, but holy shit, he was great in this movie. He was uh, layered. He was fun. He was a good ass cop that you would want to follow and also yeah it was just like I didn't know dude could act like that it was really impressive I liked him a lot in this role um but the real showstopper is the violence the carnage that good old balls to the wall slasher movie violence and holy shit holy shit <laughs> my god this movie earns its R rating. This movie was a fucking spectacle uh, in, ter in terms of slashing, in terms of gore, in terms of ridiculous gross-out humor, uh, which is all stuff that I should say a lot of it comes from iconography from the original Thanksgiving trailer. There were a few things that I did miss from the trailer. Uh, I, I did wish that uh, girlfriend giving boyfriend a blowjob and finding that his head was cut off mid-blowjob. I wish that made it into the movie, but the famous trampoline scene from the trailer did make it into the movie, and it, though it doesn't play out quite the same as it did in the original trailer, it, it's somehow even more, <laughs> even more fucking hard to watch, um, and it was a great set piece. Uh, kind of a non sequitur, but it was it was a lot of fun seeing that back and fully realized. Uh, I should also say this movie is really slick. Uh, Eli Roth didn't try and go with the weathered film grain uh, burning film look that uh, the Grindhouse uh, deteriorating film rather look that the Grindhouse trill, uh, double feature had. Uh, this movie just looks like a really slick, polished, uh, modern horror film, and it looks great. Um, 
the town of Plymouth, which I don't actually know where they filmed this, but the town itself is very rustic, very uh, industrial, which I like. There's some great uh, set design and locations in this. Good use of what looked like natural snowfall, um, which maybe they actually filmed this earlier in the year and then just didn't announce it until it was like in the can. Um, or maybe they did it. Maybe they faked it. It did lead to some continuity errors, though. I, I noticed there were a couple scenes where it looked like there was a shit ton of snow on the ground, and then other scenes where there was, like, no snow on the ground. Um, but whatever. Uh, most people probably wouldn't pay attention to that sort of thing. Um, yeah, dude. But, yeah, going back to just how fucking brutal this movie is, and from the jump, that, that synopsis I read about, like, a uh, Black Friday riot... That doesn't even come close to describing the fucking carnage that happens within the first ten minutes of this movie. It was, it was insane, and that also leads into going how like uh, Eli Roth really fleshed out and developed this script uh, from it being just a sort of like kitschy, uh, disposable trailer that was just supposed to mimic slasher movies of the time. Uh, there's actually a lot of thoughtful commentary in this. It's not subtle, like uh, nothing in this movie is subtle, but it's it was at least interesting and I thought appropriate uh, commentary on social media, which I think Eli Roth has dabbled with in the past. Um, I haven't seen The Green Inferno, but that's what I've heard uh, happens. Uh, but I also noticed a lot of commentary on consumerism and marketing of the Thanksgiving season. There's even a few scenes that juxtapose it with the, the sort of reality of where Thanksgiving comes from. And again, not subtle, uh, not exactly anything revolutionary, but it was more than I was expecting to get in this slasher movie from fucking Eli Roth and it was much appreciated and actually led me to think especially given that this movie sort of has a twist ending reveal with a mass killer this is actually a better Scream movie than I got in Scream 6 this year which I was really not expecting from Eli Roth and I, all the fucking Scream 6 fans are going to be mad at me now but you all can still bite me that movie was not that good um yeah, dude, this movie was a fucking blast. And by the... Like, I don't want to spoil too much. But again, there are some problems with it. The reveal of this movie was unexpected. Well handled. Um, in, like, sort of explaining and filling in the details of why the killer was going on this rampage. But... I don't know, maybe I'd need to rewatch this movie. But a lot of the timing with the the killer and who the killer is revealed to be seemed pretty close to the point where it almost felt like this guy would have needed to be in two places at once. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's something about it didn't just quite gel up. It, when the reveal happened, I was kind of like, huh, that's not what I was expecting, but also I don't know if that's possible given the way that the last, like, 20 minutes or so of this movie has played out. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention or not thinking about it, but I will happily rewatch this movie. Um, 
some of the characters are a little too flatly written for their own good. There's this one fucking character, I can't remember what his name is. I think it's, I think it's McCarty. Because they keep talking about going to the McCarty potty. Um, trying to find him in the cast here. Where? Oh, where? Um, I can't find it, but I think it's McCarty. It's either, yeah, it's McCarty. Yeah. He just kind of shows up a couple of times, and I still don't really understand, like, where this dude fits into the greater pantheon of this universe, but they, he, he just really kind of just shows up and does a couple things, and it's just, like, gone from the movie. And there's a few characters like that where this movie... This movie is well-paced, but almost a little rushed sometimes when it comes to developing other characters or focusing on other things that would be, uh, like, e make the overarching narrative a little easier to follow, or at least connect a few dots a little bit better. Not saying that this movie is hard to follow, because it's not, but it, it was just something that I, I noticed. A few plot lines that maybe could have trimmed for brevity's sake. I don't... This movie is like an hour and 45 minutes. It didn't feel long. It's paced pretty well. But I also don't think it really needed to be that long. Um, slasher movies really don't ever need to push the... Not, go over the 90 minute mark. But what are you going to do? Again, didn't mind it with this one because the characters were actually well fleshed out and well developed. Um... Oh, the one problem I also had sort of with uh, going back to, like, the, the Scream logic, the Scooby-Doo logic, is at a certain point, it, there's a heavy amount of distrust placed on two characters. And it's sort of one of those things where it's like, it felt like a diversion, where the more it's sort of insistent that it's one of these two guys, the more I was kind of like, well, I'm sure it's not one of these two guys. But again, sort of stems, goes then into the problem of when they actually reveal who it is. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, is this dude Batman? Like, how can he pull all this shit off and be in, like, two places at once? Like, I, I don't know. But, again, it's it's very minuscule uh, gripes when all things are said and done because I truthfully really had a fucking ball with this movie. It is... Oh, it's also, it has a great sense of humor, too, but not in a way that's, like, jarring. Not in a way that makes it feel like it's a completely different movie, uh, which was sort of the problem I had with uh, Halloween uh, 2018 and Halloween Kills. Uh, we should add that to the drinking game. The amount of times I've talked about those fucking movies ever since I brought the podcast back is insane, but... The humor, especially with the commentary on social media and consumerism, lends itself very naturally to some very intensely funny. Like, I was laughing out loud in the theater, and like I was like one of the only ones that was laughing out loud during certain moments, but I was like, this had to be funny. There's like, uh, some one of the characters films the riot, uh, the Black Friday riot, and it's like... <laughs> It's like mild spoilers, but again, it happens early on in the movie. Um, a, a, a couple of characters die, obviously, and he's doing like these, like almost like fucking Call of Duty montage, like, uh, like, like freeze frames on them, like no toaster oven for this bitch or this dude got fucking bodied, and then it just hard cuts to a 
rest in peace to the victims with like the prayer hand emoji and then immediately followed by like and subscribe with like air horns blasting and i was fucking cackling because it's so it was it was funny in its own right but it's also not far off from like stuff that we've seen with like the fucking the the paul brothers and there are a handful of instances like that where again mild spoiler but there's an instance involving a meat thermometer given that it's uh they're not even a meat thermometer. One of those things that you stick in a turkey that pops when the turkey's done. Uh, there's an instance involving that where I just had to laugh because I was like, this has to, like, it's so absurd, but it's also so conceptually fucked up. It, it, this movie lent itself really naturally to horror comedy, to splat stick from time to time. Uh, and like, bravo, Mr. Roth. Uh, my hat, my pilgrim weird fucking brimmed hat is off to you because, uh, and it makes me, I need to check out more of his movies other than fucking knock knock. <laughs> um, because this movie was a, a certified banger. Uh, once this comes out on Blu-ray, I am going to be keeping this high in my holiday rotation. I thought this movie kicked ass. I gave it a four and a half out of five on Letterboxd. Uh, yeah, check this one out. If you were a fan of Balls to the Wall, um, oh, fucking JoLynn just watched it. Uh, she just texted me. Uh, oh, yeah, the, oh, my God. Yeah, no, I have a lot, lot to talk about with JoLynn. Um, if you are a fan of throwback, slashing goodness, grotesque, splatstick horror comedy, and just a Balls to the Wall hard R slasher movie, go to the theaters Please check this one out because this movie fucking ruled. Now, after I just got done hyping the absolute pants off of Thanksgiving, let's bring it back down to earth a little bit with Five Nights at Freddy's. Quick uh, synopsis here for you. Can you survive five nights? Recently fired and desperate for work, a troubled young man named Mike agrees to take a position as a night security guard at an abandoned theme restaurant, Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, but he soon discovers that nothing at Freddy's is what it seems. I think it's just Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, right? Canonically? Well, I mean, not like the canon really matters, but I'm getting ahead of myself. For those of you who have been living under a rock for the past, like, fucking, has to be ten years now. Jesus Christ, we're getting old. Five Nights at Freddy's was an independent horror game phenomenon that blew up because of its very simple design and its multi-faceted and layered lore that we still don't have clear answers on that have been theory-crafted over and dissected and analyzed for a literal decade now. Um, I am not a Five Nights at Freddy's super fan, but I know a fair bit about the lore because I actually think the lore is very interesting. The games themselves never really appeal to me because it, it, jump scares, just any idiot can jump scare someone. Um, the tension in those games is obviously just coming from the fact that you don't want to get jump scared. Where if I'm going to play a horror video game, I don't want the soul tension to come from the fact that oh so sooner or later some asshole's gonna jump out and scare me but 
I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. I think Scott Cawthon is is a brilliant man. As compl as fucking uh, for a dude that was about to quit the video game industry, holy fuck, is he set for life now? So this movie has been in discussion. Was has was has had has and is and always will be. <laughs> Was in discussion for a long, long time. Finally came out in October uh, in theaters and to Peacock. I did not see it in theaters because the reviews I was seeing were not great. And I, I, I know I just like got done saying go see Thanksgiving in theaters, which you should. But I, I felt like maybe I didn't need to see Five Nights at Freddy's in theaters. And I was right. This... This movie is an oddity. This is simultaneously, I feel like, as best of a Five Nights at Freddy's movie as you could have possibly made, yet it's also somehow still a mess and could have been tweaked and reworked to be a lot better, but also the end product is, like, f so fine and so ultimately harmless that it's just kind of like, eh. <laughs> and, like... There's a lot of shit that I really do like about this movie. For starters, for being PG-13, this movie deals with a lot of really heavy uh, subjects. And also has a lot of, not a lot, but a handful of fairly grotesque moments that I was like, alright, bonus points. I, I was really expecting this to be like neutered and lame like the fucking Black Christmas remake, 2019 one that is. But no, there were a handful of moments where I was like, damn, son, all right. You got a little bit of punch to your, punch to your Fred Bear? Ugh, fucking kill me. Um, Josh Hutcherson, uh, God bless him, is actually doing a really good job in this movie. He really sells the drama. He sells the terror. He sells the panic. He sells the confusion. Uh, I think he is a good leading man for this movie. And, of course, Matthew Lillard, the fucking goat. Fucking, this movie was worth the price of admission alone for the scene he has in the last 15 minutes of this movie. Absolutely steals the show. Like, goddamn. Bravo. Uh, fucking, God bless that man. Um, the attention to detail, the set design, the lighting, and the music, I thought were all bang on. Um, the score itself, I forget who composed it, um, but it had a very synthy uh, 80s vibe to it. Which is sort of the the thing nowadays, but is also relevant to the plot of Five Nights at Freddy's um, in the movie and in the video games. We're trying to find... Uh, fuck, it was like Brothers, I thought. I don't know. I can't find it on Letterboxd, but really like the score for this movie. And the licensed music that they used in this was pretty damn good, too. Um... Uh, they use the song "Talking in Your Sleeps" by uh, "Talking in Your Sleep," "Talking in Your Sleep" by The Romantics, uh, which is one of my fucking favorite songs ever. Uh, that song goes so fucking hard, and I like uh, they're sort of interpreting it in a way because of these dreams that Josh Hutcherson's characters are ha characters singular. I really cannot talk today. These dreams that he's been having, but it's also kind of a weird song to be playing at this, like, kid's restaurant, because the song's about an affair, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it, it set the mood, uh, and I thought it worked well. 
But yeah, the attention to detail on this was really good. The, from the, the office that the security cameras are in, to the layout of the restaurant itself, to the animatronics. And uh, the animatronics themselves, I also th thought looked uh, really good. Um, I'm not sure if it was C all CGI or some practical and s some CGI or what they did. And I really don't care enough to look it up and find out. But I thought the animatronics looked good. Uh, apart from a couple different uh, sequences, they never really looked like tacky or super fake or out of place. And thought they did, did well in recreating them. Um, for all the attention that went into the look of this movie, to make it look and sound and feel like the video game, um, the first one specifically, the same amount of attention did not go into the story, which was kind of the most disappointing thing to me, given that Scott Cawthon was a producer on this and a co-writer on this. Um, but yeah, again, not a, not a huge, huge Five Nights at Freddy's fan, but I, I find the lore intriguing. And there's a lot that can be done, a lot that can be interpreted from the lore, and they just didn't do it. They just really did like a surface level, boring interpretation that paints, uh, that paints William Afton as a one-dimensional child snatcher and gives these ghost children like Freddy Krueger powers. And I was just like, I've been there, I've seen it, and I've seen it done much better. Um, also, the pacing in the first third of this movie was fucking dreadful. It was literally like, one scene we're going to be talking, next scene we're going to have a dream sequence, rinse and repeat, excuse me, rinse and repeat for like the next fucking, I don't know, how long did that go on for? Maybe like the first 45 minutes of the movie? It was dreadful. And it, like, sucked any, like, tension out because I knew what was going to happen. And also because some of the jump scares in this are not super unique. Go figure. Also notice that they didn't use the iconic Five Nights at Freddy's scream uh, for any of the jump scares. I know that that scream was lifted from a movie, so maybe it was, like, licensing issues. But that was also kind of disappointing. Like, how are you going to not have that in the fucking movie? But I digress. Um... My biggest problem with this movie is that a lot of, again, hour and 45 minutes has no right being this goddamn long, but you could fix so many of issues with this movie and trim it down substantially if the character of Vanessa was, like, completely rewritten. Um, Vanessa, the name, bears a lot of uh, importance in the games, but as far as I know, this character in the movie has nothing to do with that character. I could be wrong, but Jesus Christ. Like, she is the worst cop in the world. She is offering no help to Josh Hutcherson's character, to Mike at all. She offers him no information, yet is always, like, poking and prodding him for information. She, she does, like, complete character 180s and is, like, fucking just a mess dude <laughs> like and also like the the reveal with her character was so painfully like like saw it coming from a mile away that like finally i was like okay at least now we're just saying things because like half this movie could have been wrapped up a lot faster if like from the jump she was like just said all of this shit and i know what they're trying to imply given the given her character's dilemma 
But also, like, again, leads to her just being the worst fucking cop in the world. And also, like, not a very busy one either, because she seems to be checking in on Mike and his sister every night they're at Freddy's. Um, there's this weird this fucking subplot. With, I didn't even talk about Josh Hutcherson's sister in this movie. Um, there's a lot. Like, the reason why Josh Hutcherson's character is so troubled is because when he was young, his younger brother was abducted and they never found the guy that did it and they never found the the they never found the brother again if you know the if you have any inkling of the lore of five nights at freddy's you know where it's going but like that's neither here nor there um but like Somehow he has a sister, too, that's, like, way younger than him. So I don't know how old his parents are when... Because both the parents are dead now. I don't know. That was taking me out of the movie. I was trying to do the math. I was like, how... Because I know... I think Josh Hutcherson at this point is, like, in his mid-30s. I'm going to look it up. Josh Hutcherson is... Oh, he's 31. Okay. So it's not, like, out completely outside of the realm of possibility. But, like, the sister just seemed a little too young and none of the timing seemed to make sense. I was also trying to fucking figure out when this movie took place. Because that's sort of like the weird thing about the canon of the video games too. Is that like so much of the actual plot of the games has takes place like years before. And that's the case for this too. So I was trying to figure out if it was like the mid 90s. But then some of the characters have like flip cell phones. So I was thinking it was like the early 2000s. But then like... Vanessa was saying that she used to come to Freddy's all the time when she was a kid and Freddy's closed down in like the mid 80s and there's one character that clearly has like Apple like earbuds in not like AirPods but like wired earbuds I was like I was just going crazy trying to figure out when the fuck this movie actually took place um I'm gonna settle on the early 2000s and just leave it there but it really doesn't fucking matter where I was going with all this is there's this subplot it's not really it starts off as like the main plot but then quickly falls into the background it's like josh hutcherson's aunt wants to like sue a family court serve him a family court order to get custody of the sister so she can get like payments from the state so she's trying to like make him seem like criminally ne criminally negligent so she hires essentially this goon squad to like spy on him, which is already like absurd. <laughs> and fucking like they're like, oh, he works as a security guard. Let's trash the place that he's working, make it so he gets fired, and then we'll have a better case. Yada yada yada. This that and the other thing. I was like, all right, this is weird and a divergence but sure fine but they break into the fucking restaurant in the middle of the day and this also leads to fucking super cop vanessa having like no clue how to do her fucking job like anyone with a brain could check the working security ca cameras that we know the restaurant has that's the whole point of him having the job and see when and where they broke in but she comes up and she's like, if you're all goofed up on sleeping pills, you shouldn't be working there. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? That was, it was like such a weird tangent and divergence that just broke the whole flow of the movie and also made no goddamn sense that it just threw everything off. And then they're like, 
the shit with the ant just goes absolutely nowhere. Mild spoiler, she essentially gets killed, I think, but then, like, just disappears, and they never address it. And I'm like, that would be something that someone would need to answer for. <laughs> like, there are so many, like, contrivances to, like, make the plot breathe and go longer and really came down to Vanessa just offering no help until like the final 20 minutes of the movie when I had already figured out what the fucking reveal was going to be um because see all of her dialogue is like oh you shouldn't be here you should just quit all the security guards just quit it's not a very good job and then like she just like keeps being cagey the entire time until finally she's like this is what actually happened and it's like yeah no shit i fucking figured this out like 45 minutes ago <laughs> like uh, this movie uh, Again, this movie wasn't even that bad. There were just so many baffling choices with it. And at the end of the day, like, when it was actually trying to be scary, it wasn't even really that scary because it was so hung up on all these other weird, like, details and contrivances and plot holes to the point where, like, the animatronics weren't even, like, a major focus. And when they were, again, like, it's nowhere near as layered or interesting as some of the backstory of the video games are, where there's interesting character dilemmas, and it's just, like, bad guy, kill kid, now ghost haunt Chuck E. Cheese. This movie kind of reminds me of, like, for lack of a better phrase, the sort of family horror movies that were coming out in the 80s, like Poltergeist and Gremlins, where they have a little bit of an edge to them, a little adult in tone, but they have, like, a marketability to them as well. This movie feels like that, which I can respect. Again, it's appropriate given sort of the story and the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's. This movie just was nowhere near as memorable or good as the two examples that I just gave. Um, I don't know. This I can't make heads or tails of this one. I did not hate it. I've seen, I've seen far worse movies. And again, everything in my mind is so slanted given some of the shit that I watched during October. So like, eh, this was fine. I wouldn't say you need to go see it in theaters. It makes sense that this got released to streaming like day one, but I don't know. That, those are my thoughts on Five Nights at Freddy's and Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the Monsters at Midnight YouTube channel. Have thoughts on today's episodes or suggestions for future ones? Shoot us an email at monsters.midnight at gmail.com. Midnight spelled incorrectly. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash mattflamingo. Oh, excuse me. There you go. Cheers, boys. I try to write about everything I watch, so if you want thoughts on non-horror movies, you can head over there. Until next time, my tender lump legs.